This true first-person story was recorded in front of a live audience at the Fringe Club in Hong Kong. It was told in June for a show with the theme of Glutton for Punishment. Yuri is a repeat storyteller on our stage. He always manages to craft his stories in such a way that helps us realize that extraordinary things can happen to ordinary people. He does good work, and we're always happy to see him behind the microphone. You have a story in you, too. If you want to learn how to tell your best story, sign up on our Hong Kong Stories Meetup page, like us on Facebook, or go to hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than drama. It's better than comedy. It's real life. Now, here's Yuri. As I'm sitting in a second-class sleeper en route from Agra to Jaipur in North India, I'm already well aware of the dangers that attend the journey that I'm on. One fevered, sweat-stained evening in Kathmandu about six weeks earlier, I'd had an education. I'd had an education in the perils that lurk in every bite, chew, sip, and swallow on the Indian subcontinent. I'd been brought to my knees once already, and it was only the miracle of modern antibiotics that got me back up on my feet again. When I allow myself to meditate on my current situation, I'm surprised at how exposed I am. I'd left Portland, Oregon about five months earlier, when the company that I'd been working for went spectacularly bankrupt. And now I'm really not very step, many steps away from being a nomad or perhaps even a vagabond. You see, I am on holiday in a sense, but the general euphoria that goes along with being on vacation, it's a little bit blunted by the fact that there's no end in sight. I, I don't have a return date. I don't have a job waiting for me at the other end. I don't have a home to go back to. So there's really no choice but to venture on. Continue the pattern of sorts that I've built over the past few months. A few weeks in this ashram, a few days meditating there. A lot of time doing yoga and this general idea of a good amount of time on the beaches of Goa at some point in the future. But anyway, at the moment I am sitting in a second-class sleeper en route from Agra to Jaipur. I'm sharing the sleeper with uh, my traveling companions of convenience and a very friendly Indian family. Don't worry about dinner, says the father of the family. He works for Citibank, and he seems really eager to show off how comfortable he is talking English with these exotic but slightly malodorous backpackers. My sister lives near the next station. I've telephoned ahead, and I've asked her to prepare a typical Indian meal for all of us. She will only use filtered water, so you will be fine. Sure enough, as we pull into the next station, a woman resplendent in every color of purple in her flowing sari embroidered with gold cloth approaches the train. She's carrying enough food to feed a Maharaja's private army. The simple tin trays are covered with an amazing array of curries, of dal, alu gobi, palak paneer, rotis, paratha, rice. I mean, this is a taste adventure. Probably one of the best meals I had in my entire time in India. But I'm not fine. The train pulls into Jaipur station a little bit after the witching hour. 
we bid goodbye to the friendly Indian family. We thank them emphatically for the amazing meal. And then we venture into the city to find accommodations. This proves relatively easy, and within a few moments, we are settled into a relatively clean room that has the slight annoyance of a shared toilet facility. Ah, beggars can't be choosers, right? We awake the next morning excited to see what the city of Jaipur has to offer us, what experiences, what sights, what adventures. And we quickly settle on the red fort of Jaipur. But I have to decline. Uh, I've, uh, I've got a bit of the runs, I tell my traveling companions. Um, I'm going to take some hydrating salts. I'm going to get a little bit more sleep. I'll feel better. I'll meet you later in the afternoon. They take off to go and explore, and things get a little hazy for me after that. I do recall that a bit of the runs quickly turned into a torrent. I recollect going down to the hotel desk at a certain point and begging them to move me to any room with an ensuite bathroom, installing myself on the porcelain throne. Still later, I remember waves of heat and waves of cold. I remember pain in my mind, pain in my body, sweat streaming, and this, this vague crowd of shadows at the foot of the bed discussing me. I don't know if thoughts of my mortality rose in my mind at that time, but when the doctor the hotel had sold me to inquired about my name and my medical history, what I do recall coming out was, get me to a fucking hospital. Won't you please get me to a fucking hospital? Uh, apparently they complied. Uh, a few days later, things start to come back into focus. I'm in a private hospital somewhere in Jaipur, and I'm hooked up to an amazing array of machines. They whir, and they buzz, and they beep while they drip fluids and medications into my veins monitor all my vital signs, and attempt to shift my biological equilibrium back somewhere near normal. As my senses return, I reach out to my family, who had heard from some of my traveling companions, but hadn't been sure of whether to believe the tidings. These were the very early days of Facebook, and identity scams were rampant, so it, it probably made sense not to accept a random call from North India in the middle of the night at, at face value. I also explore the hospital that I'm in, and I've got to say, I am happy to find that it is spotlessly clean and impeccably modern. I also meet my savior, a broker who buys sick travelers from hotels, digs into their insurance particulars, and then farms them out to local hospitals for well over 50% of the takings. My $2,000 in travel insurance, the documents reveal, netted this guy about $1,200 US to share with the drivers and the hotel and whoever else was involved. While the hospital that actually cared for me and cured me, they got just over 600 bucks out of the deal. And I don't care. I'm relatively healthy. I mean, the, the 55 kilograms of me that's left and I'm ready to venture on, and, and I just can't quite figure out yet where I'm going to venture on to. Because there's two roads that are diverging in front of me. Now, one of them obviously leads further into the Indian subcontinent. 
to adventures and experiences and probably perils that I can in no way imagine. And the other road leads back home. And home, that's something that requires a lot of thought right now and some decisions that, quite frankly, I'm not ready to make. So I venture on in my Indian adventure. At the same time, along a path that's very well-traveled and, and a blank sheet of paper for me, I become one of the thousands of Westerners washing back and forth across India, exploring its cultures and its philosophies and its practices, looking for some sort of inspiration, some idea of who I am and where I might be at home. What can I tell you? It's 10 years later, I'm here in Hong Kong, still looking for a home. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this story brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. If you want to know more about learning to tell great stories, visit us on hongkongstories.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to share it with your friends and keep an eye out for our weekly podcast published every Wednesday. If you're lucky enough to be in Hong Kong, grab yourself some tickets for our next live show. Details can be found on the website. Everyone has a story to tell. <laughs>